yeah he has literally like 15 pairs of shorts and two pairs mm-hmm. of pants and they're both in the wash because they're filthy not like <laughs> yeah. in the wash because he wore them but in the wash because they have to be washed um, yeah otherwise they'd walk away by themselves yeah yeah they wouldn't let him in school smelling like that i don't think even in a farm <laughs> town <laughs> Welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Welcome back to Barnyard Language. Thank you for joining us again. Katie, what's happening on the farm this week? Well, as we're recording this, we're about um, a week out from harvest on our farm, I think. A lot of our neighbors are finishing up taking out silage. They've started beans. A couple places have started combining corn. Oddly enough, in our big full moon this weekend, we not only got the first first and second calves out of the new bull, but we got a pair of lambs um, Sunday night. We normally was lamb that a in surprise? March. Yes, Arlene, it was a surprise. Thank <laughs> you. Um, yeah, they're about, you know, six months late or, uh, six, or six months, months early, early, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> other than that, kids are back to school and we had a a bit of an issue yesterday the girl child and I went to the local apple orchard on Sunday afternoon and the boy child is obsessed with apples and his class is studying apples right now in preschool so I thought I'd be you know that mom and bring a bag of fresh local apples to preschool and he lost his shit <laughs> over sharing those apples because his mom brought them and they were only for him. They were only for him. Did not matter that we have, you know, 15 pounds of apples at home that we bought or that we have five trees full of apples or that the orchard is like eight miles from the house. Apparently they were shared quite kindly and he, he accepted it later, but he was <laughs> not enthusiastic about the whole process. He's been waiting and waiting for these apples to be ready. So yeah. now don't, <laughs> don't yep. mess with it. Yep. Other than that, um, run the All Iowa Barn Tour this weekend. Um, it's a tour of historic barns all over the state. So we're getting ready for that, knocking down cobwebs. And Arlene, what's been happening on your farm? Well, at the time that we're recording, we're getting close to soybeans here as well. They're looking quite brown. And I imagine that our uh, custom operator will be here before too long to do the combining of the beans. Um, things are going well in the barn. We've had a real rush of heifer calves lately. Um, so the calf barn is almost full. So at our place, we have a, an indoor um, calf barn with, with heated floors. We don't use calf hutches. We do have indoor and a separately ventilated calf barn. So um, my father-in-law and mother-in-law, when things are, are busy, are still our uh, calf feeding crew. So they're working together these days because there's so many in there. So full calf barn is 20. And I think we're at 18 with a whole bunch due to calf in the next few weeks. So may have to move some out before too long. 
And we had a, a new edition, a purchase new edition the other day, our first red and white in many years. So um, a local farmer was reti is retiring and was looking to sell some some cows. So my husband and uh, my daughter went to go check things out, and they came came home with three new editions, and one's are, are red and white. So she definitely looks she definitely stands out in the barn. And yeah, kids are back in school, which is exciting. And today I was doing a task that I'm feeling a little nostalgic about. I'm doing the toy sort. I know it happens periodically, but I'm, I'm trying to be more ruthless this time and really look at things and get rid of some stuff. And I posted some stuff on, you know, the local swap shops to see if I can, you know, generate a little bit of money from some of the things. And there's going to be a few bins that just end up in the basement that I can't quite part with and you know, have too much, too much attachment to, but they don't need to be out because I know they're not getting played with anymore. Arlene, for our less cattle enthusiast listeners, is there any difference between a red and white and a black and white besides red or black? So with Holstein's red and white is a, is a recessive gene. So they're, they're still a Holstein, but some of them carry red genetics. So, so you can, in the past, they used to breed to avoid red and whites, but in the, the last you know, few years or decade or so, it's become kind of trendy again to, to try and breed that back in. And there are some, you know, some better bulls now for, for red and white genetics. So yeah, so you just have to use a, a red bull if you want to try it and keep those red lines. So our guest this week is Dana Seifert, and she is a pediatric physical therapist, a farmer, and a parent. And just a reminder, this is not personalized professional advice. So if you have a specific question or issue, you need to find a physical therapist or medical professional of your own. So Dana, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us again. Um, as, as usual, folks, we're... Uh, had some technical difficulties our first few episodes, so Dana was kind enough to come back and uh, re-record instead of making me try to edit it. Dana, what are you growing? Okay, so we are, uh, and I guess I should say we is, my husband Mike and I are growing uh, a seven-year-old girl child who just started second grade and is loving it. And we are also helping to bring regenerative agriculture to the 100-acre Seifert Farm, where my husband's the fourth generation to grow up on that farm just south of Jordan, Minnesota, where we're doing row crops that were traditionally corn bean and alfalfa, getting oats back into the rotation, getting cover crops into the rotation, and we are going to be going into our fourth year next year of no-till. And Dana, can you tell us all where Jordan, Minnesota is? Sure. So Roughly, we anyway. <laughs> are, we're kind of a blip on 169 as you head south and west from the Twin Cities. Although we do have Minnesota's largest candy store, <laughs> which is kind of an attraction that apparently uh, kids like to come to from, I've heard as you know, far as like 30, 40 miles away to take their selfies and, and put up on their uh, socials, which is just wild to me. We're like a town of 6,000 people and apparently also a destination now. So that's neat. Dana, how did you decide to become a pediatric physical therapist? I originally was going to be a doctor, just needed to decide if I was going to be an OBGYN or a pediatrician because having grown up in a home where my mom did home daycare 
Um, I always was around kids. My first job was babysitting. It was very natural and comfortable for me to want to help kids do well. Uh, but it turns out I got waitlisted for med school and uh, the waitlist didn't move enough to let me start med school right after college. So I kind of panicked and looked around and started working as a nurse assistant and quizzing a lot of my extended family members who are in various uh, careers in the medical field, everything from nurses to doctors to a couple of physical therapists. And those PTs that I spoke to, one aunt and uncle in particular, kind of inadvertently made the case for me of, yeah, they uh, they had shifts that were very predictable. They uh, had time to like coach their kids soccer. You know, they were they were home when their kids needed them in the evenings. I also learned how physical therapy is more hands-on and direct in walking with someone through the process of learning and recovering. Um, and we also get more time with our patients. I think the average physician visit is anywhere from 18 to 15 minutes of direct patient contact now, whereas I'm with my patients for a full hour on evaluation and 30 to 45 minutes for those follow-up sessions. I love working with little kids. You know, it's the best place to work. 98% of the time. And that other 2% of the time when it breaks your heart, it's usually because of the grown-ups, not because of those sweet littles. So yeah, it's been very enjoyable, if not the initial plan. Um, I'm happy things worked out this way. Dana, did you grow up on a farm or were you from an agricultural background or how did you end up in, in this industry or this lifestyle? Yeah, so it's funny, again, not necessarily something I, that was plan A, but I'm loving where I'm at because I grew up in Bloomington. It had been a couple generations. My dad has some cousins out West that are still farming. No one in my mom's family really had strong agricultural connections, but we would go visit my grandparents in Fergus Falls, Minnesota, which is Northwest Minnesota. And there's a lot of farming in that area. So it was a more rural area and they were 13 miles out of town. So it was cornfields across the street from my grandparents growing up. Um, and we had friends up there that we would go and visit. And <laughs> I remember Greta Hendricks would like make her own clothes for her 4-H projects. And I was like, that's so cool that she knows how to do that. And, you know, go out into the barn and her dad, you know, squirt us with the milk from the cow, you know, just like teasing the city kids, but it was great. It was fun to visit. So I always had this really like fun and kind of idealized idea of what living on a farm must be like. And then lo and behold, I go to college and meet this guy who like walks in in cowboy boots and a leather jacket and a cowboy hat. And I'm like, oh, this guy must be from like way out West from like Montana or something. And like technically Jordan's a little bit West of Bloomington, but not by much. <laughs> So, but like I said, he happens to be fourth generation to grow up on his family farm. And when we got married and we're thinking or engaged and thinking about where we wanted to live when we got married, we liked the community closeness, the connection, um, the school systems that were out from those big suburb systems. So we found ourselves a hundred year old house in the older part of Jordan, Minnesota. And now we live, uh, basically four miles away from his parents. And we're out there quite a bit, uh, especially as his folks are getting into their mid seventies and needing a little more help with equipment. And luckily his dad has been super supportive for these regenerative agriculture ideas. 
um, because they're not what he typically has done, but I think they resonate with him and his memories of things that like his grandpa did with these various crops. And although my mother-in-law, who's the sweetest woman in the world, thinks we're a little crazy for contemplating getting cattle back on the farm um, after they barely survived the farm crisis in the 80s by the skin of their teeth, they're, they understand why and the ecology of it. And with these practices requiring fewer inputs, the economics over the past few years, we've been able to help make the case too of why this is healthier for the farm, for the soil, and for us. With my connection to PT and, and human health, I, I love reading about how what we do on our farms directly impacts how we function as humans um, and with kids in particular, I'm, I want healthier farms and healthier farm communities for the people that I'm closest to and love. Um, but I think we all deserve that good nutrition and that foundation to a healthy life that lets us function and move and do what we need to do and what we want to do. We should get to do some of what we want to do too. So Dana, what are some of the most common preventable injuries you see in farmers? As I'm sitting here nursing my uh, rotator cuff situation, which is just, it looks like a PT office in Aww. my office now. <laughs> like it's, it's getting better, but slowly. Yeah, good. Okay. Yeah. So I'd say it's probably some combination of prolonged poor posture brought about by just our modern life, how we sit, stand, how we don't move in a variety of ways, but tend to move in stereotypical ways, which kind of correlates with the other factor, which is repetitive use, only doing a certain motion, a certain way over and over again. It's not that any particular motion is necessarily bad for a human body, but it's that frequency, how often with the load, the resistance, how much weight are we putting on that body part doing the same position over and over again, that leads to most folks, aches, pains, injuries, things like that. It just occurred to me that we should have our own barnyard language TikTok challenge situation where we get people to use shovels with the opposite hand. That they Oh, that would be amazing. I mean, I know it- we had talked about it before about, you know, you had said that Mike cannot shovel with the opposite hand. And I tried it the other day. It was the mm-hmm. most ridiculous thing yeah. that I've done in a long time. And that's, I mean, that's saying something for me <laughs> to be the most ridiculous, but it's really hard. And it's really hard to notice how ingrained those actions are. Yeah. And it, because we do, we have patterns, we have certain ways of doing something, even something as simple as like folding your hands thoughtfully or as if you were going to pray and then reversing which thumb is on top. How weird does that feel? It feels backwards. It feels foreign. It's like, whose hands are these? And then you take that to something moving and something lifting and something lifting and moving a load. And, you know, depending on how important it is, you know, if it's, if it's raking some leaves and you miss, oh, oh, well, if you're uh, cleaning out a sty and you miss your target with that shovel load, it could be a little more of a hassle. So yeah, as nice as it is to give our brain that exercise and that switching, I usually recommend starting with something a little, you know, lower consequence, like maybe sweeping or raking before it comes to like mucking out a stall with your uh, non-preferred hand grip for that brain training. 
Yeah, I was um, filling grain pails, so that okay. helps. At least it's not a moving target, but it's yep. still, yep. you know, it is It is a lot harder than it seems like it would be. Um, yeah, because it requires you to use your whole core and balance opposite, too, to be able to control that load. So it's actually a whole body exercise to just change your hand grip. So yes, when you're sitting, a lot of things to watch out for are just the fact that with gravity and being in a human body, you sit for more than two minutes and pretty soon your head is going to drift forward <laughs> out in front of your body. Katie, you said really it's judged here, Dana. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, I'm telling you what I do. I'm telling you what I catch myself doing 1800 times a day. My body needs a better reason than just gravity will make you fall down if you don't make an effort to sit up against gravity. My body needs a much better reason to sit up straight than that. So I slump faster than the average bear where my head is forward, my shoulders are round. I'm sitting, my lower tailbone rolls, back, rolls backward and I'm like squishing my stomach. So I'm probably not digesting my last meal very well. I've got to work a little harder just to breathe because my lungs are not up tall versus when I catch myself, it's like, oh, look at the, oh man, my neck actually is long. I don't I really, I'm not really that short yet. So having some system to remind yourself to take a posture check every 15, 30 minutes. It's going to depend on how long you're sitting. I know there are certain things that you can put on your computer to remind you. There are those Fitbits that folks are connected with to give movement cues, or even just something as simple as setting a 15 minute repeating timer on your phone to just flash a little reminder at you to just sit tall and take three nice deep breaths. And if you can look out a window, if you're in a room with a window, because the other thing that comes with a lot of screen time is eye strain and that can lead to headache. In addition to the, the blue light itself being kind of irritating for certain individuals, the way our eyes work, uh, you know, the more light we take in, the more our pupils get restricted. The color part of the eye is actually a muscle. So the iris is a muscle and it's constricting down to focus in that near field of view when we're on the computer. So when you glance out a window and look at something in the yard, across the yard, beyond that, you know, however far out you can, you're going to let those pupils open up and that's letting that iris muscle relax. So it's actually an eye muscle relaxer to look out and figure out which tree in the distance is the furthest back. Okay. Which branch is the furthest back, the further you can give yourself something to focus on. And as those muscles relax, the muscles, the little ones around the eyes can relax and you can actually take a lot of stress and strain out of your face, your jaw, your neck by just taking a 15 to 30 second eye rest as you're doing your posture checks. So it takes a lot less time to run through than I just took describing it. So Dana, <laughs> I feel like help. what you're saying is that we need to recline in our chairs and rest our eyes. I assume I'm not the only one whose grandparents used to say that. I'm not right. napping, I'm, I'm resting my eyes. Resting my, yeah, my dad used to love to rest his eyes right in the middle of church. Even if we were sitting in the second row, he... He knew a good, the benefit of a good eye break to yeah. well, but did he ever have vision migraines? Probably not because he was resting his eyes. No, no. And he still has great vision. He can see when that ball slices every time when he plays golf. Sorry, dad. I love you. <laughs>
That was something my dad would say too. And especially if we tried to change the channel away from the hockey game, it'd be that I was just resting my eyes. I'm still watching that. Don't, don't mess with it. Yeah. So those are things we can do no matter what our setup is. You know, we can check our posture. We can glance at the furthest object we can, whether it's down the hall or outside. But in general, making sure that you've got a seat that lets your feet be supported. So that might mean bringing in something under your feet, like a step stool or a shoe box that's got old towels stuffed in it for a little more support so that your feet have something to rest on. So your feet just aren't swinging and dangling because that's going to tend to pull your legs and your pelvis out of a good alignment. And that's going to encourage that rounded position a lot. Um, having good lumbar support is real important. A rolled up towel will serve you super well just tucking it into that curve at the small of the back and using that back support to keep your posture up tall with that support. You're, it's not a cheat, it's good alignment for digestion, for breathing, for circulation, to have that tall position. Sometimes you can play around a little bit with the height of your screen so that you're not having to arch your neck to look up or crunch your neck to look down, but kind of add or just slightly below eye level so you can comfortably see the field of view of whatever it is you're working on with your screen or screens. Sometimes you can cheat and tap and take like one of those breakfast in bed trays, prop your monitor up, and then you can do a little bit of standing at your desk. Or again, shoe boxes make excellent props because it is nice to be able to have a variety of positions throughout the day, not just sitting in one chair all the time, not just standing in one position all the time. If it's comfortable for your knees, your hips, your back, another wonderful option is to use something like that breakfast in bed tray or just a shoebox to stack in front of you and actually sit on the floor if you've got a portable, like a laptop, say, um, or if the kids are doing their homework and it's out of a notebook and a paper book, do they even get that anymore? Or is it all Chromebook these days? I don't even know. My kids yeah. are too little. I know. I've also, yeah, with second grade, we haven't hit the homework stride yet. So I'm. We're still getting some uh, pen to paper, pencil to paper okay. work sometimes. Yeah. All right. So for that, for when they are off the screen and don't have to be at a desk or have to be at the, the office table to get down and do some good old fashioned tummy time where you're stretched out on your stomach and thinking about the hours during the day that kids can be asked to sit in a chair shape. <laughs> Maybe if they're younger, it's in one room or just different rooms as high schoolers move throughout the building, but it's all basically the same chair. It's like, that's going to lead to tight joints. That's so getting stretched out on your stomach, you know, as long as we don't have too big of a dip in handwriting legibility, that can be a wonderful way to stretch joints in the opposite direction for the shoulders, the trunk, the hips, um, just to get that variety of position. Dana, can you give us some things that we should avoid or keep in mind um, to keep our kids from getting injured when they're starting to help around the farm, you know, starting to add those first chores for, you know, for families and, and how to incorporate them into, into our life? Yeah. Think about, think about loads um, and how, you know, how much weight you're lifting, um, signs that we're lifting too much load as we tend to take a breath and hold it and kind of lock down our trunk. They call it the Valsalva maneuver. Um, and there we're trying to get max stability by just like locking out the entire tube, like from our shoulders down to our hips to be able to move that heavy load. If you see a little kid doing that or like arching their back and putting their load on their stomach to like stack it, if it's possible, 
divide and conquer. When my father-in-law was first asked to carry a bucket of feed down the aisle in the barn, uh, it was too heavy. So his older brother, who was handing off the chore, divided the load into two buckets and said, there, now you can do it. (laughs) Sorry. That's fine. Hi. Oh, no. So a mean old peanut butter and jelly sandwich just attacked a loose tooth. Oh, no. no. But did it it come out? Almost. So now we just have to get brave enough to let mom finish the job. So close. Is it a top top one or a bottom one? It is a top one. Is this the first one? No, just a surprise, though. My six-year-old still has all his teeth and he's waiting so impatiently and he still doesn't even have any wigglers. I keep checking them and they're holding on so tight. Everyone else in his class has lost a tooth. Should we just finish it? No? Okay. (laughs) This is going to be where the the, uh, live recording gets real live. (laughs) (laughs) Join Patreon so you can watch Dana pull her kids' tooth out. (laughs) Woohoo! Yeah. Gotta fund that normally you got to pay your physical out. therapist extra for that body modifications. Not normally <laughs> something we do. I will admit I'm so afraid of my kids losing teeth. I'm so, You're like, not yeah. I know it person? doesn't even hurt. I remember it. It's it just, real. And I know for some folks, the sight of blood is really tough, but thankfully, luckily that's not what gets me. So when folks puke that I have trouble, blood, <laughs> little blood, nah. I, Into a, yeah. It still kind of cracks me up that the, the girl child fussed less when she broke her arm than she does about any other injury she has had. It has been more dramatic than the actual broken bone. Wow. I think because the actual broken bone actually hurt. And That's fair. slowed her down where normally mm-hmm. it's just an opportunity for some, get some drama out. You bet. Okay. Well, where were we before this, uh, before our intermission uh, here. Yeah. Oh, you were asking about rotator cuff. Yes, yeah, rotator cuff. So sometimes it is something traumatic uh, that can happen um, to, the, to the shoulder in general. Uh, like the day Mike, my husband, he's told the story a lot, so I'm not airing any dirty laundry here, but he managed to dislocate his right shoulder singing the Itsy Bitsy Spider song. <laughs> he was singing the itchy bitchy spider thing, uh-huh. and then he on the spider found out he actually fell down, and it was super funny until we found out he dislocated his arm. So he was acting out to show to show our daughter how you can take a story or a song and choose to act it out, and he acted like he was sliding headfirst into home for the down the water spout yeah. and. I was sitting Watch next to him around. and I heard pop, pop. And I kind of looked at him like, are you okay? And I was like, oh, you're, you're not moving. You're, you're not good. Okay. Hang on. <laughs> That's some serious method acting right there. I mean, <laughs> he was originally a theater major before he switched to history. So the guy commits. Um, so it can be something incredibly unexpected and random like that. A lot of it though does come back. <laughs> like mean, no, we still respect you. But he knows his farming. It's just there's a reason that the deal was he was going to fix up the house and I was going to fix up him because this is how our life goes. A lot of that 
irritation to the rotator cuff, there's four main muscles that make it up and they wrap together to give some stability to that joint. When you think of the amazing amount of motion that is available for stuff like swimmers and gymnastic and gymnasts, gymnastics doers, gymnasts, the things they can do and the positions they can reach, it's because there's so much mobility in that joint. The human body has to sacrifice some stability though for that. So to make up for it, we've got four pretty strong bands of muscle that come and connect from the trunk, from the shoulder blade over to the upper arm bone and help stabilize it. With modern life and what tends to happen with our shoulder kind of traveling forward and kind of rounding and tilting forward, it's like taking a pulley and having the rope come out of the groove and then putting loads on it over and over and over again. That rope's going to fray and it's going to lose structural integrity. Same thing with that muscle, especially on top of the shoulder. It's just more prone once that initial position drifts to take wear and tear and damage. So a lot of what we do initially in physical therapy is we, yes, we use things like massage, ice, and try to get that pain managed. But then we do a lot of stretching along the front of the shoulder and along the chest wall and strengthening of the shoulder blade and upper back muscles to help that resting position come back to neutral, basically getting that rope back in the groove of the pulley again so that as we move, as we reach, as we, as we lift, we're no longer causing that wear and tear and friction. Now, physical therapy is not going to stitch together a tear. It's going to allow your body to heal a small tear on its own by reducing what's causing that wear and tear. But if it's a major tear or a thick one, that's where your friendly orthopedic surgeon needs to be a part of your team. That was the saddest thing I've heard in a long time. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's that's a video for the Patreon. It's recording an interview. And in walks girl child with bloody mouth. Like, yep. <laughs> this figures. Can I just leave in the part about her telling about Mike dislocating his shoulder, though? Because I think that's that fine. Was, that, <laughs> that was, was perfect. <laughs> yeah, that was, that she was did the best well. timing. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know this isn't your area of specialization, but can you talk to us a little bit about um, pelvic floor physiotherapy? I think it's something that doesn't often get talked about and it affects so many people. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I'm going to be evaluated on Thursday for some pelvic floor dysfunction myself. So even though I am a physical therapist, I am a pediatric specialty certified physical therapist but I have minimal training in pelvic floor function and health. So I know just enough to know that I want an expert when it comes to function of my pelvic floor, because I had my child seven years ago. And after some fairly typical initial incontinence, things got better, but never great. Uh, I mean, I shouldn't say not great. They were never exactly what they used to be. Meaning if I every once in a blue moon, I'd get a, the, the guilt of, I should be jogging and running more for my cardio health. And it just wouldn't succeed very well. Couldn't hardly jump rope. Couldn't hardly jump. Now, when I'm trying to teach children how to develop that skill for the first time, it helps if I can model it. And if I can participate and do it with them, 
Um, and that wasn't always an option. And it's time to walk the walk of not accepting suboptimal health, because this is an important part of any human body. A lot of times we talk about it mostly with women, uh, especially women who have had a child either vaginally, which is maybe more disruptive to the pelvic floor itself, or via C-section, which disrupts your entire abdominal wall and your abdominals function together with your pelvic floor as very important parts of your overall core. That core stability and being able to regulate pressure for everything from maintaining bowel and bladder continence to breathing effectively when you're more active to being able to stabilize yourself and reach and move loads when you're moving bags of feed or bales or whatever. It's all very important. And good pelvic health is something we all deserve. Every human deserves to have a well-functioning pelvic floor. Not always the most comfortable thing to talk about. And I'm, uh, like I said, I'm not perfect. I'm going to try and walk the talk now here to myself. But there is a way you can go to the APTA.org is our professional website. And you can look for providers that are certified specialists in pelvic floor health. Um, and that's the kind of person who's going to have the most up-to-date treatment and assessment training and the best modalities to get a customized plan for recovery in place. I feel like pelvic floor health is maybe the first place that I ran into the, the discussion of the difference between something being common and something being normal, that it is mm. common to have issues with your pelvic floor, mm -hmm. but just because it's common does not mean it's normal does not mean that it's been so treated as one of those things that it's just the price you pay for having babies and mm -hmm. that's kind of sexist bullshit not even kind of it is sexist bullshit 100 percent. you yeah. deserve to be able to cough without peeing your pants yeah I'm that's sorry. what i've come I've to that's what i'm to believe too so yeah. i'm just gonna go ahead and say it if we can try and put people on mars we can cough without peeing our pants uh-huh, you bet. I, you know, I'm going to run for president on that slogan. I think we'll see how far I get. Oh my gosh, I will go door to door for you see, in see. Minnesota, Katie. We got to get that going. I, I appreciate that. It's going to be a real uh, grassroots campaign. But yeah. Um, so, Dana, what fair contest could you dominate? Oh gosh, this is so tricky. Well, Mike insists I need to try some year with my strawberry jam, even though it is literally the sure gel recipe. Um, I just credit the berries grown at Little Hill Berry Farm just outside of Northfield, Minnesota, because they are um, minimal spray organic. And it's, it's, it's the closest thing, like as our strawberry patch is gradually increasing at our farm, that I can get to the way that I grow stuff, which is like, I'm not going to baby you. I'm not going to give you a bunch of herbicides, pesticides. We're going to do this the old fashioned way. The stuff that makes it, makes it. And those seeds go in the ground next year. It's how we've gotten some really good tomatoes and some really good beans that always do well in our garden. And I'm going to do the same thing with the berries, but um, yeah. So he likes the strawberry jam. I'd have to do one of the, I don't know if I could do a proper fair contest, but I know at the Renfest, I was able to make it to the top of a spinning ladder once just by using my hypermobile joints and just a lot of stubbornness. So if there was anything like physical balance like that, I would definitely take a run at it. 
you could get like the really big stuffed animal because those ones are hard to do. That would be worth it. Oh, that alone is worth the challenge. Yeah. What would your big stuffed animal be of though? It would be a giant bunny. Giant bunny. When I was little, I had a giant stuffed rabbit that was alternately called bun bun and rap and bunny. So yeah, I need a giant bun bun bunny. <laughs> That's adult size for these stressful times that I can just sit and cuddle with on bad days. I mean, maybe so, you can just get a pry bar like the boy child has. He seemed pretty happy with it. That so, would be it, easier. That I can just go to Ace and I would be set today. Well, it's got a certain uh, 2020, 2021 aspect to it, I think. Right. Just... Combination comfort item and self-defense tool. Very multi, yeah. multitask. <laughs> Security pry bar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was just right. going to say, um, physiotherapy is one of those things that you can self-refer to for, or sometimes a doctor will tell you to go to physiotherapy. How do we know if that's something that we need? So basically if there's anything that is interfering with your quality of life, limiting you from doing the things you need to do for jobs, for hobbies, for leisure time, for spending time with family and friends, or just making life harder going upstairs and downstairs is becoming a safety concern because of balance or tight joints or painful joints. Uh, if getting in and out of cars is making it tough to visit folks or go to church or go to the library, wherever you want to be. If you just haven't been able to do something for years and you want to get back to that, whether it's, you know, me being able to have a coughing fit without worrying about peeing my pants. Or I remember reading in a book, there was a woman in her seventies who really just wanted to be able to climb a tree again in her life. And I love that that was her driving motivation to work on her flexibility and her strength. And by golly, if she wasn't able to do it, like I, I just, it's like, I feel like in our society, we feel the need to like justify what we're doing in terms of productivity or being in service to others. But it's like, you know what? If you want to be able to climb a tree again, like you did when you were a kid, that's reason enough to work on things and by God, you're worth it. So yes, I, I just love that. That was her whole motivation to get involved in, in improving her function. <laughs> I like too, Dana, how that ties into what you said about feeling like you should be running because I feel like there's such a focus on real exercise. Yes. And, you know, what yeah. counts is you know, if you're enjoying it, it's not exercise. And if Couldn't it's possibly not be. Yeah. really mm. sweaty and horrible, it's not exercise. <laughs> and if it doesn't hurt, it's not exercise. And like, well, yeah, maybe I just don't want to do any of those things. Right. If it doesn't trigger those <laughs> endogenous endorphins, which are like the body's natural painkillers, you know, you, that's how you get that runner's high. You're like, oh, it doesn't count. But there are ways that are popularized. And in our culture, usually they're also the ways that can be commodified with like a gym membership or a group fitness class. There's exercise, which is movement for the sake of fitness. And then there's just being able to participate in a variety of movement, everything from breathing to digestion, you know, our nutrition moving successfully through our body to being able to stretch and yawn or, you know, turn and look over your shoulder to check safely before you back up the tractor, you know, that's valuable too. It's just not as easily commodifiable. And you can achieve that in a lot of different ways. Like I love that website that you quoted, Katie, that's a great online resource. Yoga is a great way. You can do tons of free videos. If you happen to have access to the internet and YouTube, there are DVDs 
at nearly every public library that can be checked out for at least a few weeks before you got to make that return trip and drop them off again. But honestly, it's whatever you enjoy doing because you're going to want to do that on a regular basis. So if it's going for a walk on Sunday afternoon with the kids, great. You've been active. That's activity. That's going to contribute to your health. And if there's little ways to cheat extra motion and mobility into your daily routine, maybe it's if you've got the time parking the car and walking into the bank instead of going to the drive-thru, that's a little bit less time in that chair shape of sitting in your car and a little more walking. It doesn't all have to be exercise. Exercise is optional, but a variety of movement is foundational to enjoying a, a functional life. Dana, our cussing and discussing section is for us to either vent about a problem, tell a funny story, give any kind of tips, anything like that. So Katie, do you have anything to cuss and discuss this week? So my husband came in this morning asking me, we have a bottle calf and he wanted to know where his uh, water jug for mixing calf milk was. And, you know, I was running late. And so I just kind of told him that was his problem. I got home and realized that the dog has been carrying it around the yard, which explains why we kept not being able to find it. So Um, Dana... Dana, other than your daughter coming into the, our podcast recording with the bleeding mouth, which our, our listeners couldn't see, do you have, she, you could tell us why she was bleeding, but do you have anything sure. in addition to that to cuss and discuss? Uh, yeah, no, she just, yeah, loose tooth, lost the fight against a peanut butter jelly sandwich. They're a real tough contender. So we'll have to just handle that last little hanging by a thread here in a minute. This week, I am looking forward to, uh, in air quotes, a peer-to-peer discussion trying to justify pediatric physical therapy for a three-year-old whose hips do not line up the same and who an orthopedic pediatric specialist has recommended physical therapy for and who the insurance company, which shall remain nameless, has denied two times because she is not below the fifth percentile with her overall motor skills. Like she can technically walk. She just happens to fall down a lot. So this insurance company has decided that unless a kid scores below the fifth percentile, they don't want to pay to have physical therapy for that child to explain why this kid should have a little bit of help. So she doesn't fall and crack her head or develop joint pain for the rest of her life. I hate private insurance. What an absolute the national system. There's your jingle, Katie, when you run for president. Thank you. (laughs) Add that to your platform. We're Uh leaving that in. What a crack of shit. I'm gonna I'm gonna edit out my previous cussing and discussing to go with this is a crack of shit. Yeah. We would say garbage. It is better to just well, I mean, if she can move on her own, that's good enough. Yeah. You know. No, I've got, yeah, I've got video of this child running down the hall and it's very clear that one side is stronger than the other. And it's, it's bonkers. And it ticks me off that this family has had to wait for three months now while I go through this appeals process. We could have been halfway done with our plan of care by now, but we haven't even really got started. Well, and if, if nothing else, the expense of physical therapy versus the expense of a lifetime of care later with the problems that are going to develop is Uh just that's where the that's where it really puts the lie to the claim that we're working towards preventative health care physical therapy is preventative health care if we could have an annual pt screen for kids the way we do like an annual doctor visit 
to identify stuff and get kids shoe inserts before they're complaining about foot pain and screen them for scoliosis before they're complaining about back pain as teenagers. We could we could uh, shift things in a really positive direction for how kids are functioning. It got me that our kids were screened um, week before last, I want to say, by the Lions Club, goes around to schools and does no contact eye exams. And I mean, it's it's fantastic that this is happening, but why does a private charity have to do it? Why yes. is it not just part of what we living do. in an advanced and wealthy society i don't know i can't figure out why it's not now I, mean, I don't have look a... at look at our canadian co-host over here just sitting here quietly so this... <laughs> I'm listening to this nonsense and i know I... and i i feel like i can't really say much but you know like i obviously completely empathize and sympathize with families who are dealing with all this garbage now i mean the canadian system isn't perfect physiotherapy is not is not always included and sometimes that's under you know supplemental private insurance and you know people who are self-employed like farmers often don't have supplemental insurance plans but there are definitely you know there's definitely aspects of our system that are that, are that we could be learning from yeah <laughs> that we could yeah. definitely be learning from yeah yeah things like things like eye care and you know some of you know for especially for children that are are included and i'm sorry <laughs> that sounds very canadian thank you <laughs> the sorry is mike over a hundred dollars yet is he uh like, no <laughs> <laughs> closing in sorry, on <laughs> he did he got a check for a hundred dollars from youtube it was wild it's like yes we can buy part of a better microphone for <laughs> he runs uh it's just called Ravenview Farm and it's on YouTube and he talks about these regenerative practices and he shows how he's modified some of the old equipment from the 70s to work with no-till and to plant cover crops. Um, being a hundred acre size operation, we have old and small, you know, war horse type equipment that has just been plugging along forever. No GPS modified, you know, steered anything. So that does allow a certain amount of nimbleness when it comes to adopting some of these practices because we're trying to change direction in something the size of a tugboat instead of a size, the size of the Titanic. Um, but yeah, Ravenview Farm is the channel on YouTube. And one other thing uh, that talks about specifically addressing the needs, the functional needs of folks in rural areas is the group Agribility. A-G-R-A-B-I-L-I-T-Y dot org. Um, and it's all about cultivating accessible agriculture. They work with occupational therapists, physical therapists, um, trying to increase farmers' capacity to do the various types of work and tasks they need to do safely and independently as long as possible. Whether that's modifying equipment, providing durable medical equipment, or just training and coaching in different techniques and approaches. They are all about treating and optimizing life for folks working in agriculture. So they are a good resource as well. Also for podcast junkies like me, the Move Your DNA podcast with Katie Bowman. Um, it's got like, I don't know, 120 some podcast episodes and then her website, nutritiousmovement.com 
has got a lot of free resources too, that you can look for, for various body parts, aches and pains. You can scan her blog posts and get some good tips for little modifications to daily routines, which is going to be more successful in the long run if a person can adopt those daily modifications. Long after we've gotten sick of the physical therapy home program and, you know, recycled those pages because that's what we do as humans. There's a modification to your daily routine that I can help you make to change how you sit or stand or walk or do whatever activity is important to you. And that sticks with you. I've done you a much bigger service than if I've shown you a few exercises that are only going to stick with you for a few weeks. Thank you for being willing to record twice. Um, the, uh, sound quality on number one, wasn't the greatest, but we had another was, great discussion today. And I think we covered a lot of, a lot of the same stuff. This has been really good. Thanks ladies for the chance to chat again. And we'll see ya. I gotta go. Uh, I gotta go pull a kid's tooth. So <laughs> just sneak up on it. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a regular podcast listener, you know what we want you to do. Like rate and subscribe to Barnyard Language because that helps other listeners find us. We would also be grateful if you would tell a friend about our podcast. A personal recommendation goes a long way in helping us reach more listeners. We'd love to hear from you, whether you have someone you'd like to hear on our show, a product recommendation, or I'm going to just start back at the, we'd love to hear from you, whether you have someone you'd like to hear on our show, a product recommendation, or a great idea you'd like to share, reach out to us on social media or at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com. We would also love to get your submissions for our cussing and discussing segment. Your tips, funny stories, and swear-filled rants are all welcome. You can send us a voice memo or drop us an email and we will share it for you. You're also welcome to join us in our private Facebook group, which you can find by searching for Barnyard Language Group and requesting to join. This is a place where you can ask questions, give and receive support and advice, and just get to know some other people who are living the farm and family life. You can also find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Patreon at Barnyard Language, and on Twitter at Barnyard Pod. The Patreon page is a great way to financially support the podcast and access exclusive content. Mm -hmm.